Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So I want to teach today uh, from that. Last week I began teaching by just looking at the position, as you can see in the picture, the position of the tabernacle within the the camp of the people. Yeah, Isaac, that's cool if you want to grab the pulpit. Uh, But the position, and this is so because I see the tabernacle as really God's um, footprint. Thanks. God's, it's the last time you're going to be doing it, so you got to get it right. Uh, <laughs> uh, I see the, the tabernacle as God's footprint uh, for worship, uh, for, for how we can enter into his presence. That's what he said in, in Exodus. Uh, that's what we read last week, that it was all about his presence, dwelling with his people. And uh, it's a prototype. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a shadow and of and a, a, a things to come. Um, of which we now get to experience and enjoy. But I think sometimes we don't really experience, we don't enjoy what we have because we don't really understand the value of it. Uh, We don't understand the intricacy of it. And and really, the more we can learn about Jesus, the more we can understand about the presence of God. And so the tabernacle is a layout, it's a blueprint um, of how to enter into the presence of God through Jesus. Um, Because the tabernacle is prophetic of Jesus. It's looking toward, forward to Jesus. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the tabernacle. But what I want to talk to you about today is, is this portion right here of the tabernacle, the outer court. Um, I, I want to read from Exodus 27 where God gives the details about that. Um, but before I get into that, uh, I, I do have one other announcement, and that is that our birthday is coming up as a church. We're going to be celebrating our birthday. It's um, coming up on January 26th. Our actual birthday is the 25th, but this year it, our, the Sunday falls on the 26th, and that's just in two weeks. So that is, one, our birthday, and two, it's the end of 21 days of prayer and fasting. Woo! And uh, uh, we're going to have some cupcakes, and we're going to celebrate. Um, but we're not just going to celebrate. We are also going to launch some new small groups on that day. Um, so um, we've, we've really felt led just to continue with the tabernacle through February and maybe even parts of March. And so we're going to keep unpacking and teaching the tabernacle. So we're having some small groups that are starting. So if they can put up this, this, the slide for the small groups. Um, these different small groups are ones that you can begin to sign up for right now. That's why I want to let you know about them. Um, it's coming up in two weeks. And um, yes, no. Uh, the, the one that says small groups like for today. Um, that, was, that was a while ago. Um, by the way, um, these groups are continuing. Um, uh, okay, that group was continuing, which happens to be the exact same group. This is awesome. Um, just like we planned it. Uh, and, and so, no, these, these are some small groups that are starting up on the 26th. And so I want to give you a heads up about them to begin with. Um, we're going to be having a parent get-together. Um, and so Eddie and Priscilla are going to be hanging out with parents of the church um, and their kids. They want to get to know you and they want to talk about parenting things uh, with you. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, you can text the word, text the word parents um, to this number right here, 512-960-1617. Um, and then we're going to start a tabernacle Bible study. This is a Beth Moore Bible study on the tabernacle. And so, uh, yeah, this is going to be exciting. It is um, uh, geared toward women, this is the title of the book. It sounds very girly. 
Roe assures me that this is good for men too. It's entitled, it's entitled A Woman's Heart. So anyway, uh, Roe assures me that this is also for men too. Um, this is, Tammy is leading, Tammy is, yes, Tammy's leading it. And so um, anyway, but if you've ever been a part of Bethmore Bible study, it really is for men and women. We've done several and men and women can get together at the same time. So don't be scared by the title, guys. Um, this is still, it's going through the tabernacle, but it is intense. They're going to, you're going to have daily homework to do. So if you're not ready uh, to really dig into the tabernacle, don't go to this group. Um, but if you are ready, this is, this is awesome. This will be an awesome group. It'll be about an 11-week group uh, to be a part of. And so that's going to start on the 26th. So if you're interested in that right now, you can text the word tabernacle, and it'll put you in the texting group for that small group. Um, Peter's going to continue his Why We Believe um, small group. So if you're interested in joining that or continuing along that, you can just text the word faith um, to that number, and that'll let... Uh, Peter know to reach out to you. Um, it's, 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 it's based on the book uh, called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. And so um, anyway, that's a, a, an interesting group. And then I'm continuing my Freedom from Porn group. And um, we're not going to be meeting every week, but we are going to be meeting on a consistent basis. And um, if you're interested, maybe you're just now hearing about that group. Well, we just had our first meeting this past week. You can still join us this week. Text uh, Porn Free to that number right there. It'll get you in that text message group as well. And then physical exercise. So I believe we had our first one this past Saturday. Michelle's leading a physical exercise group, which is walking. Um, So text the word walk um, to that number right there, and um, that'll get you in that group, and she'll let you know when and where they're meeting. Sound good? Awesome. So anyway, uh, January 26th is our birthday. We're going to be celebrating and and breaking the fast together and joining small groups. You have a question? Will the small groups be at the church? Well, you have to text the number to find out. I am only giving so much information on here. (laughs) <laughs> get your phone out no uh yes yes i believe that i think some of them will be at the church um the other ones which we don't know where they'll be i cannot answer at this time um but uh, uh <laughs> the walking distance from the church just park here and you, 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 you can get there um, if, if we can go back to that video, uh, the video of the tabernacle and, and freeze it at the very beginning. There's actually a pretty cool shot um, of the tabernacle from right there. Bam, freeze it. So freeze it. <laughs> yes. Pause button. Nice. Look at that. Um, yeah, this is a pretty great shot of the outer court. And this is what I want to talk to you about today is the outer court. And just while you're looking at that, you can listen to the scripture. We don't have it on the screen, um, but it's, it, it's quite, quite involved. By the way, Exodus chapter 25 to Exodus chapter 40 is the construction, the instructions and the construction of the tabernacle. If you're interested to go read it in your spare time, it is, by the way, the most scripture dedicated to any subject in the entire Bible. It's fascinating to me. Uh, The most scripture dedicated to any subject in the entire Bible is the tabernacle. God spent more real estate in his book describing this thing, how to build it, and then explaining how they build it, which happened to be the exact same way that God described it. But it's all there in about 16 chapters worth 
Um, so it's a big chunk, but right here in Exodus 27, verse 9, God says, You shall make the court of the tabernacle on the south side. The court shall have hangings of fine twined linen. Fine twined linen, that would be white linen. Um, it was very hard to come by in the desert um, 3,000 years ago, as you can assume, uh, because it was very hard for them to um, bleach linen. And, and fabrics, because they didn't have Clorox back in the day. So it was, it was a difficult thing. But God says, I want you on the south side, uh, the court shall have hangings of fine twine linen. These are drapes. These are curtains, kind of like you see there. A hundred cubits long for one side. Now, a cubit is the, the distance between a grown man's end of his finger and his elbow. Uh, I just think it's interesting that as God gave all the measurements for this, he talks about some things. He talks about cubits which is having to do with the human body. It's a body part. Uh, he talks about a span, uh, which, which happens to be uh, the, 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 the width between a grown man's pinky and his thumb. And so when he starts talking about the, the priest ephod that he wears, he says it's, going, it's supposed to be a square, a span by a span. And it's just interesting to me that the, much of this, this, this tabernacle was constructed with guys using their body parts to figure out the length and the, the breadth and the height of the thing. And once again, this is prophetic of a body being the body of Jesus. And so I think it's interesting because also uh, there's, 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 there's another measurement that goes from the, the knuckle of the pinky to the, the knuckle of the thumb. This is the hand's breadth. And he says, I want it so many hand's breadths. So the cubit, the hand's breadth. And nowadays we use feet, Right, so which is basically the size of a of of a, of a grown man's feet in awesome shoes. Uh, that's that's how that that's how that works. Um, but it's about it's about twelve. This is what we have then divided into twelve inches and so on and so forth. And so when he says a cubit, it's about eighteen inches. That's a general rule of thumb. And so he says it shall be a hundred cubits long on one side. Those of you that aren't real good at math, I've already worked that out for you. It's about fifty yards, half a football field. Okay, so it's 50 yards, 150 feet is what he's saying on one side. So that long side there is 150 feet. Um, it, it shall have 20 pillars, and their 20 bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. I don't have time to get into the significance of silver and bronze right now, but uh, likewise for its length, he says, the north side. He just talked about the south side. Now the north side, there shall be hangings 100 cubits long, its pillar 20, and their bases 20 of bronze, but the hooks and the pillars of their fillets shall be of silver. And now for the breadth of the court. On the west side, there shall be hangings for 50 cubits. So you have 100 cubits on one side, that's the length of it, and then the width of it is 50 cubits, that's exactly half. So actually 50 cubits uh, works out to be about 25 yards or 75 feet. So it's, it's technically half of a fo football field long and then exactly half of a football field wide. If that makes sense for those of you football people. And those of you who are not football people, 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. Uh, uh, he says, the, the hangings on the gate shall be 15 cubits, and their three pillars, and their three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be 15 cubits, and their three pillars, uh, and three bases. Uh, the breadth of the court, oh, uh, verse 13, the breadth of the court on the east side now shall be 50 cubits, same as, same as the west side. Hangings for one side of the gate shall be 15 cubits, with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hangings shall be three cubits, and their three pillars for three bases. You can see that down there on the east side where the, where the gate is. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen 
or a, a, a cloth that's 20 cubits long of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen embroidered with needlework. It shall have four pillars and with them four bases. All the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hooks shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits, the breadth 50, the height 5 cubits, uh, the hangings of the fine twine linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use and its pegs and all the pegs of the court shall be of bronze. So I want to talk to you today about this outer court and what this means for us as Christians and really what it would have meant uh, for them as, as, as Israelites, as people of God. Uh, once again, it's all about uh, the presence of God. And this was supposed to be positioned in the center of the camp. And all of the tents, as we talked about last week, had to be positioned around it, facing it. So that's the first step to worship, to intimacy with God, is you need to face your tent toward his presence. So that the first thing you see in the morning and the last thing you see at night is his presence. You must put him at the center. He, he only dwells in the center. We talked about that last week. But this week I want to talk about like what, what would it have been like if you were an Israelite and, and you are living in the camp and your, your camp is, your tent is facing toward the tabernacle and you wake up in the morning. Well, the first thing uh, you do is you have to go get some breakfast. So the first thing you do, you need to go get some food. Well, the kind of food that they had in the wilderness wasn't, uh, they, didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't have Starbucks, um, but they did have fast food. They have fast food in the wilderness called manna. And so I'm going to talk about manna here in a little bit. I say it's fast food because God made it fall from heaven. It doesn't get much easier than that. There was no line. There was no, you didn't have to order ahead of time. You didn't have an app for it. You just, you just, you, you literally, you, you wake up, but you get, had to get up early. Uh, uh, Matthew, there's no sleeping in. There's no sleep. Oh, Matthew's serving. There's no sleeping in. When, 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 when you're wanting manna, because God said specifically you can only get it in the morning because by the time the sun rises, the sun is going to dissolve it. Now, what is manna? Manna is, it's called angel's food. So we don't know exactly what that means, but we do know what is prophetic of, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit later because we find manna also at the most holy place. So there's something very significant about manna. But anyway, but it didn't fall in the camp. So you had to wake up early enough to come out of your tent, see the presence of God, see the tent there, and then go outside of the camp. That's where the manna fell. The manna always fell outside of the camp. And so you had to turn around from the presence of God and you had to go outside, away from the tabernacle, go outside of the camp to collect your manna. Now, now, now you collect it on the ground. It fell on the ground. You dust it off, I guess, put it in a pot and some jars and clay, and you take it back to your tent. Now, some people would eat it raw. Most people would cook it. You have filet of manna, you know, you have manna burgers, as, as Keith Green said, or bomana bread. And they, got, they, they had to get creative with it because it was, it was, the, only, it was the only food they had, right? And so, and so those of us that are on the Daniel Fast, you know how creative you can get. <laughs> Come on, somebody. With, 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 with Triscuits, you know, like... It's crazy how creative you can get. No, there's a certain kind of Triscuit. It's only got three ingredients. I have been eating them. It's awesome. Uh, the Lord will set you free. Uh, so anyway, there's uh, like, because uh, I, I need something a bit faster than, you know, I can't like 
mash my own grains. And anyway, so these guys have already mashed them for me. And, uh, but no, so you go, you, you go and you get creative with it. So they bring it back. But now you need to go get some fuel because you need a fire. So now you need to go outside the camp again to go find some wood. Maybe a small tree, a brush, and you have a primitive tool. You spend some time cutting that down. You bring the fuel back um, for your wife to start getting the fire going and so that you can start cooking manna so you can have breakfast. Now, now also, if you, if you ever have to go to the bathroom, which, which by judging by this room, um, we, would have to, we would have to make a lot of trips outside of the camp. You weren't allowed to go to the bathroom in the camp. They didn't have porta potties sit, sitting around. You didn't have a toilet in your tent. You had, to, you had to take a shovel with you. This is, God told them how to do this. Go outside the camp, do your business, dig a hole, and then cover it up. Like this is what you had to do. So, so much of your life, if you're an Israelite, so much of your life is activity happening outside of the camp. Uh, ladies, during that special time of the month, you know where you were sleeping? Outside of the camp. Uh, yeah, the party outside the camp. Um, bunch of ladies together who are in really good moods, and they're just going to have fun <laughs> outside of the camp. And the guys are inside the camp. I don't know. I didn't make the rules. I didn't say it. That's what God said. Uh, I'm just saying. But no, so much of your life, if you're an Israelite, is not in the center of the camp. Now, the focus of attention and worship is in the center, but you don't go there very often. You go outside of the camp a lot. But let's say, I don't know, um, maybe, maybe one day you're not feeling so good and, and you're sick and, and you have a cold and, 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 and you, know, you're, you, you have a man cold, which is really hard to recover from. You can't seem to get up at all. You're, you're laying inside of your tent and so you send your son out to get the campfire, the wood. The, the, would you go out and get the fuel for the fire, son? Little, little Johnny? You send him out. And so he, he goes out of the tent. Okay. Damn. And he goes out of the, of the tent. And, and he comes back kind of quick. And he's got, some, he's got some wood, though. He's got some, some bits of firewood. You say, well, that's great, Johnny. But, like, how did you make it all the way out of the camp? Like, it really didn't take you as long as it normally takes me. And well, Dad, I'm faster than you, blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't know about that. Like, like, where did you go? You went outside the camp? Yes, I went outside the camp. I cut this down. I brought it in. Okay, fine. So you start making your fire. Well, then all of a sudden your tent door flies open because your neighbor in the tent next to you is missing his wood. Because <laughs> little Johnny is a liar. <laughs> That's why. And, 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 and a thief. And so this, your next door neighbor, now you're burning his wood. He's ticked off. He spent all morning getting the wood, getting prepared. Now he's got to go back on. And, and you have a man cold. So you can't really do anything about it. And so it gets kind of rowdy inside the tent. And so somebody goes and calls the Levites. The Levites are the ones that would camp around, directly around the tabernacle. That was their encampment. And so somebody goes and gets a Levite. And a Levite comes knocking on your tent drape. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, he, he comes in, what's going on? He figures out what's going on. And finally, the truth comes out that little, little Johnny wasn't honest and uh, he stole, you know, your neighbor's, your neighbor's wood. Well, now you have sin. You, you have sin in the camp. Now, this is very dangerous because we all know what happened the first time they had sin in the camp and they went to war against an enemy. God wasn't with them to bless them because their sin stopped God from being able to bless them. And so, so the Levite says, man, we, you have to deal with this now. 
I got a man cold. Doesn't matter. You have to deal with this now. And so you, with your man cold, you have to get up. And now, because there's two sins that happen. Johnny lied and he stole. Now he stole from his neighbor. So you're going to need a trespass offering to bring to God because you committed sin against your neighbor, against somebody, it's a horizontal sin. Which means you're going to need to go back, out back, behind your tent there. You would have kept your cattle, and you have to find your best ram. You know, the one that was going to be the seer for all the other rams next year. You have to find your best ram. You have to, you have to tie it up. But you also have to find another animal because Johnny didn't just steal. He also lied. And a lie is not a sin, a horizontal sin. It's a vertical sin because God is listening. Because this blasphemes the name of God because you are, because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth. And when you misrepresent Jesus, he takes it personal. And so, and so, so now you're going to need a sin offering. This is another kind of offering. We'll get into the offerings next week. But so now you need to find your best lamb. So now your best ram tied up and you get your best lamb and then you go and you start walking from your tent into the center of the camp. You, most of your day is spent going outside of the camp, but today you're going to the center of the camp because you need to get right with God. I wonder, I, I wonder how much different church would be if people actually came to church, not because it was the ritual of every Sunday we do this, but I need to get right with God. I, 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 I need to do this. And even if I have a man cold, I need to do this. I must get right with God. I must connect with him. And so, so here, here, here you are on one hand, you got you have the rope with the ram. On the other hand, you got a rope with the lamb and you're making your way toward this tabernacle. And the first things you would see, the first things you would see are these, these beautiful white linen sheets flapping in the wind. Now, as you can imagine, there's not a lot of white in the wilderness. There's not a lot of your clothes aren't white. They probably never actually were unless you're really wealthy. But even if you're very wealthy, after about a month of no washer machines <laughs> and no showers and no bathtubs, after about a month, it's not going to look so white anymore in the wilderness. So, so nobody's clothes are white except the priest. No, n- n- none of your tents are white. Nobody has a white tent around here. Nobody has white socks. Nobody has white anything. And so the, 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 this, is, this is intentional, though. God intentionally wanted the color of those walls to be white because he wanted to stand out as completely different. That you approach this and you realize white stands for purity. White stands for holiness. White stands for righteousness. And you realize that God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. And I'm not. And you come walking with your ram, you come walking with your lamb, and then you have to find the door. The door is facing east, which, by the way, is just, just, just for prophecy purposes. It's interesting that when Jesus entered Jerusalem on the donkey, he entered most likely from the east, on the east gate. Because the Bible tells us he was on Mount Olives, which is on the east side. And there's a a direct route exactly from Mount Olives down the slope and into Jerusalem via the east gate. So it's very likely that when Jesus entered Jerusalem for the last time to be crucified as God's lamb, he probably entered from the east gate. It's just, it's just interesting. And so, and, so, and so he goes in. So now you approach, you approach the tent and you approach the, the gate is what it's called. It's really just more, more fabric. But the, there's a problem. There's a line 
of about 100 feet long of a whole bunch of other guys with rams and lambs and, and doves and all kinds of animals. I mean, it's a farm. It's a petting zoo. And, and it's 100 feet long. And, and this is the middle of the day. And you're like, man, how, this doesn't seem like the line's moving. And so you talk to the guy in front of you. He's like, ah, I've been here for two hours and I've moved about five feet. Why is that? Because well, we only have three priests working. Because remember, two of them got killed when they were, yeah, when they were, when, when, when they were messing with, with unholy fire. And so we only have three. This, this is like Walmart in the middle of the night. I don't know if you've ever been to Walmart at midnight, but they have like 35 registers and only one of them is operating, you know? <laughs> and, and so you're standing there going, man, it's going to take forever. Like the sun's going to go down. I'm, I don't have time today. I literally don't have time. And so you wait all day long. The sun goes down. They stop doing sacrifices. Sorry, guys, you have to come back tomorrow. And so you take your ram, you take your lamb, you go back, you have a man cold, you weren't feeling that good anyway, you have to tie them to a post, you, you, you go into your tent, you tell your wife, okay, so I need to set my non-existent alarm extra early in the morning, my mental alarm, I got to get up extra early, I can't go get manna, I can't go get firewood, you guys, the kids, you guys are going to have to do that, tell Johnny not to steal it, like, like you guys are going to have to figure that out, because I have to get right with God first thing in the morning. If I want to get in there, because there was a line a mile long, and, and I don't know how I'm going to get in there. And so, so you wake up before the sun comes up. You wake up, and it's, and, it's, and it's pitch black out, and the only thing glowing is the fire glowing from, from, the, from the altar of sacrifice, which stayed burning all night long. And the priests would get up extra early, and they would offer manna to the Lord on it. And so you know that he's already done the morning offering, and you grab your lamb, you grab your ram, and you start making your way in the darkness toward the tent. And you approach the tent, you approach, you approach the gate, what it's called the gate. It's really just very different colors. And you, the glow is coming from inside. If you're lucky, you're the first one in. And now, now you can enter. You can duck under the curtain, take your animals, and prepare, prepare to get right with God. That's what life would have been like for them on, on a daily basis. And so, and so what I want to talk about is really the, the significance of the door. The significance of the door, because this is the first thing that you really encounter. Now you see the walls as you're walking up. You see the white, but then you see this massive difference. And that is these, these, these strong, bold colors. And these colors are meant to represent something to you. When you're standing in front of them with your sin offering or your trespass offering or your wave offering or whatever offering you brought, when you're standing, they're supposed to be sending a message to you. Uh, and not just to you as an Israelite, but honestly to us as Americans uh, 3,000 years later. They're sending a message to us, teaching us about who God is and how you can enter into his presence. It's, 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 it's amazing to me that, that, that God set this up and he said, he said, I only want one door. And that's because there's only one way. And so the first thing about the door is that there's only one. And uh, there's only one way. There's only one door. Sorry, Oprah. There's only one door, and it's Jesus. It really is. I don't care how sincere you are or kind you are or nice you are or what good morals you have. There is one door, one way to heaven, and it is Jesus. And, 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 and what you believe about him matters. What you say about him matters. How you treat him matters. What you do with him 
determines whether or not you enter into heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth. Like you you say, well, I have my truth. Well, that's great. But uh, your truth isn't going to get you into heaven. The truth is the only truth that matters. The truth, the way, the life. He said, I am the life. There's no life apart from him. There may be good, solid thinking. There may be some rational philosophy. There may be some, 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 some things that will help you feel better, but there is no life outside of Jesus. So Jesus, there's only one door. Jesus is the door. Jesus said, uh, I am the door. I, I believe we have that scripture in John, uh, I think it's chapter 10. He said, I am the gate or I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And so he is, this, this one door is symbolic of a one Savior, a one way, a one Christ, who stands as the only entrance uh, into heaven, but also into the presence of the Father. So this is the beginning of relationship with God. This is the beginning. Jesus said, I am the Alpha, which is the first letter in the alphabet. He is the Alpha. He's the beginning. He said, I am the beginning. I am the start. I am the author. He also said, called himself the author of our faith. He is the beginning. So he's the very start. And so you, 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 you don't begin getting closer to God because, well, you want a better marriage. You don't begin cl- getting closer to God because you want your finances to be better or because you're, you're tired of being sad. Right? These other motivations are fine, but Jesus said, I am the beginning. So your journey with God really doesn't start until you meet Jesus, until you see him, until you accept him, until you submit to him, until you enter in through him. Many things, I was, I was talking to somebody at Radio Coffee, and um, uh, because, because Oprah said uh, on, on, on several of her shows, but she, she said that there, are, there must be several ways to God, is what she said. There must be. She said, I, she said, I can't imagine. And hey, if she can't imagine it, it must not be true. Obviously. But anyway, she said, I can't imagine. Congratulations, your brain. I can't imagine. My, the five pounds of, of mush up here cannot comprehend that there would only be one way to God. And so I was talking to somebody at, um, at Radio Coffee about that. And I said, and I said yeah, you know, um, I think, you know, I don't agree with what Oprah was saying. Because just because she can't imagine it, doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of things you couldn't imagine. Who could imagine we'd be on the moon 300 years ago? You know, who could imagine that I would have an entire library in my pocket? You know, there's a lot that are, you can't imagine that is totally capable, totally possible. I said, but the, the, the issue, though, with what she said is actually true. There are many ways to God, but Jesus is God. There are many ways to God. You might find him because your marriage is falling apart. You might find him because you're hurting. You might find him because you lost your job. There are many ways to God, but Jesus is God. And there is no other way to heaven. And there is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. So however you find the door, I don't really care. There's many ways that we find. I found the door when I was six years old. There are many ways that we find the door. Many ways that we get to the door, but there is only one door. And, and, and that one door does, doesn't, doesn't allow for your Quran. That one door doesn't allow for your little Buddha. That one door says all of that stuff is nonsense to me. He says, I am the way, which means you have to forsake every other way. There's no other way to heaven. There's only Jesus. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the door. And so if you want to get into the tabernacle, you must go through the one and only door. But what's interesting is there is only one door, but 
the walls, I don't know if you know this or not, the walls of this tabernacle are not exactly um, maximum security. <laughs> I don't know if that stuck out to anybody. Maybe I've just been pastoring long enough that I know from being a set up and tear down church for like almost four years, I know that you can put pipe and drape up and people see that and they go, oh, that, how inconvenient. Somebody must have accidentally put pipe and drape here. I'm clearly going to go behind there. I remember we were, when, when, when we were at the theater, we were meeting at the theater at first, the Cinemark Theater, and it was 250 seats in the theater, and we had about 50 adults in our church. So I said, we need to like, get some pipe and drape and block off like the back half at least because there's no reason for somebody to be up there all by themselves because like, we are the church. We need to at least sit like within five seats of somebody. you know. And so we would do that. We'd get there early. We'd set up a stage. We'd set up sound system, and we'd set up pipe and drape. Well, almost every Sunday, some wonderful person would, 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 would walk all the way to the back. Because, of course, they're trying, how far away from the pastor can I sit and still be in church? That's their goal. Hey, guys, how's it going? Um, that's their goal. And so now we just removed rows. We just got rid of chairs, you know? So it's like, oh, you'll sit on the floor. Uh, but, you know, but, but no, like, that was their goal. Like, how far away can I sit? And so they would walk up to the pipe and drape, and I'm serious, dead serious. They would, like, slide it open. Like, who put this here? Oh, this is so silly. And they slide it open, climb up, and sit down so they could still see me. But they're like in this little like window, you know, and the curtains are parted, the heaven is parted, and there's so and so in the back. And I was I was always like, what is going on here? Now, 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 you guys, Brenda, Brenda and Ward never did that. I just have to say that's that, that's why you're my favorite because they never they never no just kidding you're not my favorite. Uh, they, they, <laughs> I mean, you all were getting jealous, so I got to be. You know, I love you all equally, but no, they were like never. <laughs> willing to like do they're always down like they were like third or fourth row they're always down there to the left I remember and and, and but man some people it's I'll, I'll tell you what it is it's a spirit of rebellion which I don't know where you're watching from you probably don't have it in Michigan or in your city or in your country but here in Austin it's really popular like you tell me to do this I'm going to do that not because I wanted to do that just because you told me to do this Oh, you're voting this? Well, I'm voting that. Not because I was going to vote that, but because I, it's, it's a spirit of rebellion. It's, it's this idea that, man, if God says there's one door, pff, there's no way there's only one door. How in the world? There's got to be. I'm sure I am smart enough to figure something out aside from what God has prescribed. And so, man, it's a spirit of rebellion for one. So a lot of people, man, they, they never enter the door of Jesus because of the spirit of rebellion. But here's, but, but here's, here, here's the thing. God didn't have them build brass walls around it. Now, if you get to the, to the, inner, the, the inner sanctuary, he did have them build these massive wooden pillars. You don't just sneak into that place. <laughs> like, you can't. It's locked. It, it's overlaid with gold. I mean, you cannot sneak in there. But out here, you can actually sneak in. Which, which actually Jesus tells a parable about the end of the days. And he says, he says it's going to be like fishermen who have, the, they've had this net underwater for a long time. They pull up the net and they start chucking out all the bad fish. And people are like, what? why is the end of the day going to be like that? Because there are some people that are in the net that are not of the net. 
There are some people that got into the outer court and they didn't get in through the door, but you can't tell who is who. Because literally, once you're in, you don't know if they ducked in under the white or if they just went through the door. And so uh, being a pastor, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm preaching to like a room full of, of people here. Some of you have come through the door and some of you have snuck in on the side. And I don't know who is who. I literally don't know. Yeah, we, I, I passed you. I love you all the same. I preach. I, I walk with you. I counsel with you. But I literally, I have no way of knowing because I don't know your heart. I don't know if your heart has gone through the door of Jesus or if your body has just walked into a building of religion. You can't tell. You literally can't tell. And so I was talking to Roe about this this week, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an old book, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, check it out. Probably check out the children's version first because it'll give you an idea. Uh, but then jump into the adult version. It's like 400 years old. It's an old book. And so he uses thee and thou and all this kind of stuff. But, but it's a fascinating parable of the Christian life. And there's a story, there's this part of, of, of Pilgrim's Progress where Pilgrim, who gets his name changed to Christian, Okay, so, so you, get, you get the idea. He gets his name changed to Christian, and he's, he's gone through the door. And he's on this path that's going to heaven, the celestial city, and it's a very narrow path. All right, so he's keeping it scriptural. It's a narrow path, and there's a wall on either side. It's like a four or five foot, something little, stone henge kind of wall on either side. And he's just come up from the hill of difficulty, which was very difficult. I'm just throwing out there. And, and he, he's now on a flat surface. And he's like, man, I finally get to walk on a regular flat. This is, this is nice, you know. I finally get to just take it easy. And he looks ahead, and there's two guys who come stumbling over the wall. They didn't go down the hill of difficulty, go through the door. They decided to, to jump up here on the flat area and climb over the wall. And, and so they, they run to him, man, hey, how's it going? You're, you've, you're, you're going to the celestial city. You're going to heaven. Yeah, we're going to heaven. Great. And so he starts talking to them, and he says, but aren't you concerned that the keeper of the kingdom won't let you in once you get there because he said you had to come through the door? And they said, no, 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 no. We're not concerned about that. We, all of our family, we've been jumping this wall for years. This is how we do it. This is how we roll. It's always worked out for us. It's good. It's fine. It's fine. And he, he, he's getting a little frustrated. He's like, yeah, but you didn't get the stuff I got. And he doesn't actually say that because he got a scroll, which was symbolic of the word of God. And he got a couple of other things at the door. He said, yeah, but you didn't get the things. When I went through the door, I got some things. You didn't get those things. So how are you going to make it to the kingdom when you don't have the things I got at the door? Like, it's fine that you jumped over the wall and you're here, but are you able to continue once things get a little tricky? And sure enough, you keep reading the story. They, they, uh, the one guy gets lost in a forest. The other guy takes a wrong turn in the sloth and falls in a pit. Basically, they don't make it to the kingdom. And this is what I found. I don't think, I don't know that God is going to have to reject too many fish out of the net because most people just get themselves out of the net when it gets too difficult. It, it, it's, it's interesting because if you, when you go through the, so my prayer is that every one of us would go through the door. My prayer is that each one of you, even if you jumped in like on the side and, and uh, you know, and you're like, man, my family's been doing this for years. This is how we roll. Well, that's, I, I pray that you jump back out, go down the hill of difficulty, come into the door of Jesus, walk up the hill of difficulty. Just, just go, like go on, trust me, it's worth the, the time that you will lose. Because, because the, the names of the two guys that jumped over, the one guy's name was Hypocrisy. 
Because that's what hypocrisy is. Hypocrisy is I don't have the spirit of God within me that you have, but I have to act like I have the spirit of God within me. So I have to put on a show and pretend that I am as fired up about God and and desiring his presence as you are. But but when you've come through the door, you receive some things that literally changes you so that you're not acting, so that you're not putting on a show. But when you haven't gone through the door, then yes, you have to put on a show. And so hypocrisy, the root of hypocrisy is I haven't come through Jesus. I've just stepped into religion, which, by the way, is so tempting. Like when you're walking up to this structure and you see, oh, where's the, where's the other, like the actual, the, the, the picture of the, of the gate. When, you, when, 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 when you're walking up, oh, are we going to try to pause it again? This is going to be fun. All right, there we go. So when you're walking up to this structure and you see these white curtains, I mean, doesn't every, when you are burdened with sin, my goodness, isn't that what you want? Oh, yeah, I want a clean start. I want a fresh, a new year, new me. I want, I want to take my goats, leave them behind and just run through that white curtain and be, be clean. But God said, no, 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 this, this cleanness represents me. It doesn't represent you. this is not you you're not clean your door the way you get in is this really colorful door right over here (laughs) it's really colorful not a whole lot of white though but it's really colorful this is your door and so many times, uh, 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 false religions, um, pseudo-psychology, other ways to God, they hide the colorful door and they just show the white door. And you can be white and you can be clean. You can have a fresh start, new you, new. You can jump in right here, right now, and be at the same level that other people takes them a really long time to get to. And so our, our hypocrisy sometimes, our pride says, I don't want to wait. I don't want to go through this long, drawn-out process. I want to get there now. I want to be there now. I want to be anointed now. I want to be powerful now. I want to be gifted now. I want to be flowing in this thing now. And so we bypass the door because, man, it looks so good on the other side. It looks so white. Like, let me, let's, let's, just, let's just get in. Plus, there's a long line. We don't want lines. Like, let's, just, let's just get in. So hypocrisy, but the other name of the other guy who jumped over was formalist. Formalist means people who are obsessed with formulas and methods and methodology and rules and rigid rules because this is the way my family has been doing it. And if I do this, I know I will be saved. But when you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then yes, you have to rely on rules. But the rules only take you so far. And they don't take you into the next forest. They don't take you through the next hill of difficulty. They don't, they, they, they don't help you when suddenly you don't understand the rules. And now your brain has to work extra, extra hard. And it's not supposed to be a brain thing. It's supposed to be a heart thing. And so I want all of you to enter in through the door of Jesus so that your brain doesn't have to boil over and you don't have to be stressed out about how do I maintain this and how do I keep going with that and how do I do that and how do I keep on? I don't know. Uh, no, you, you go through the door. You simply go through the door and then Jesus does a work in you that carries you and walks with you and develops as you walk. And so, and, and so there, are, there are three main colors at this door that I want to look at. And when, when, they, when they approach the door, the first obvious color would be red. And, that's, and that's, that's massive. There's a whole lot of red on this door. Now, red is like one of the most important colors in all of the Bible. And it, and it means different things at different times. So like in Isaiah, God said, though your sins were like scarlet, 
which is red, they shall be white as snow. Um, in, in the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a, there's, there's a whore of, of Babylon who's sitting on a red uh, beast, and she's clothed in red. And so red often in Scripture symbolizes sin, um, because it's the color of passion, it's the color of lust, it's the color of, of shedding of blood. And so violence is the color of violence. And so, and so when you approach this, you see there's so much red to it. And, I, and, 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 and this is what I've noticed is that there are really three kinds of people, I think, within our churches. Uh, and, and the first kind are the, the kind who approach the door. They see the red, which is symbolic of their sin. And they, they agree with it. They agree with it. Uh, uh, we, we have several of those folks here. Several of those folks at City Chapel that have come before the wall of their own sin and they haven't tried to defend themselves. They've simply said, God is right. I have sin. First John, uh, we have this scripture up on, uh, up on the screen. First John uh, chapter 1, verse 8 says, if we, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. We deceive ourselves. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we, however, confess our sins. Now that word confess, that word confess doesn't mean to simply say I have sinned or to say um, that I, I did this, I did that, I did that. No, to confess, the Greek word there means to, to say the same thing or to come into agreement with God about your sin. So this is key because there are a lot of people who say, yeah, I, I, I have sinned. But when you really start asking them about the root of their sin, it has more to do with their circumstance. It's because of how they were raised. It's their mom's fault. It, 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 had, it had to do with, with what happened before, and they were just in this particular, they were going through a phase. It was difficult. It was kind of tough. Life was, di- I, I didn't know what to do. I was confused. Suddenly, the, 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 the sinfulness of their sin kind of starts seeping out of it. And really, yeah, okay, fine. I've made a mistake or two. Who hasn't? But I'm not really that bad of a person. And so the the first key that I've noticed is that people that actually do come in through the door, they actually are baptized in water, but then more than water, something actually happens in their life, is they, 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 they approach their sinfulness the same way that God approached it. They confess their sin. They agree with God that my sin not only hurt me, but it hurt others. Not only hurt others, but it, it, was, it, was, it hurt God. Not only, and, and they begin to agree with God about their sinfulness. Job, for instance, you know, Job, when he had a vision of God, God came down in smoke to Job, and God said, hey, I heard that you had been talking about me. I figured you might just want to talk to me. And Job had been basically saying, haven't I been righteous? I mean, I haven't sinned. I haven't, I've done everything God's asked me to do. I don't know why. He wasn't even saying bad stuff about God. But he's like, I don't know why I'm suffering so because I've been a pretty good person. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. God comes down and he stands in a cloud and he says, you've been talking about me. Now I figure you might want to talk to me. But Job, when he saw God, the Bible says he covered his mouth. And he said, he said, I have heard of you. I talked about you because I heard of you, but now I have seen you. And now that I've seen you, I abhor myself. 
And the positive, encouraging message for you today is, have you abhorred yourself yet? Have you stood at the door of Jesus Christ and said, in light of his goodness, in light of his mercy, my sin is absolutely awful. I abhor myself. I repent because I see the immense damage I have done to those around me, the immense damage I have done to the name of Jesus. How often are we concerned about what people think about us, but how little are we concerned about what people think about Jesus because of us? And so we haven't, many times we haven't abhorred ourselves. We haven't claimed it. We haven't owned it. If you don't claim it, God can't cleanse it. You have to first own it. You have to stand, you have to duck under, because they had to, the, the, the door didn't just swing open. It was a curtain. They had to duck under it. You had to come under the realization of your own sin and your own sinfulness. You had to come under that. And I don't mean beating yourself up forever, and I don't mean always feeling bad, but there are three kinds of people. The kind of people that confess with God and say, yes, I need God. I cannot do this on my own. My sin is like scarlet. I need a savior. I need cleansing. I need healing. I need God. Those that stop making excuses, those that start uh, just repenting, calling out to him, those kinds of people, they come under it. They don't stand back and say, well, you better part that. I, I don't, that's, not, that's not me. That's, that's my circumstances. That's my upbringing. That's, that's, that's my parents. They messed me up. That's not me. You better just, I don't want to touch that. Just part the red because I want to go into the white. But no, no, the people that actually come in through Jesus, they, 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 they plow into it. I mean, you've walked through a curtain before, right? I mean, anybody stay at hotels? You, you go through it, you know, and you, it has to drape over you, and you have to go through it. you got to get under it. <laughs> touch somebody, tell them, get under it. Get under it. Ro, touch, touch Carol, tell her, get under it. So you, gotta get, you have to get under it. You must get under it. And it's not a, it's not a condemnation thing. It's a conviction thing. And I'm afraid we've confused those two. They're not, they, they are completely different. Condemnation says this is who you are and this is who you will always be. Conviction says this is who you are and this is who God can make you become. And this is why in 1 John he says if we, if we say we don't have sin, then we can't even get through the door. If you're, if you're going to try to defend yourself, don't even bother. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, he is just, he means righteous, he is good enough, he has the right intentions, he can defend himself, he is faithful, he is just, and will forgive us our sins, and then will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So to come in the door, you must, in your mind, say, have I gone back and have I owned it? Have I claimed it as my own? Did I actually do those things or was it my culture? Did I do those things or was it some other influence? Did I do, was, was that my heart? Because at the very core, when you come to Jesus, you're coming to a man who is bloody and beaten on the cross. And that's the other symbol for red. <laughs> so the red represents your sin, but it also represents your savior. And you won't, you won't value your Savior until you recognize your sin. He will be somebody who did a good deed for you and did not rescue you from the depths of hell that you were going to. And so you won't value this thing. You won't love this thing. You won't cling to this thing. You won't, you won't give your life to him. You certainly won't. I mean, if, you, if, if, if you just come in and you want to see what he has to offer beyond what he has already done, 
you've missed the point. If you somehow think God making your marriage better is at on par with cleansing your sins, you do not understand the depth of your sinfulness. You do not understand the length of, of the sentence of hell that you were, that you, it was over your head. We're talking eternity. I'm not 10 years in parole, 30 years, 100 years, 3 million years. No, eternity. This is where I was headed. This is what I deserved. But the blood of Jesus, his son, cleansed me from all sin. But God, in his great and rich mercy, gave himself for me, laid down his life. But the Lamb of God was slain from the foundations of the world that even before I had sinned. And I don't know, many of us have done different things, which is why we tend to categorize ourselves in different ways. I got saved at six years old. I haven't done a lot of really bad sin. I stole juicy fruit when I was six. And that's just as bad as cheating on your wife. I don't think we understand. I don't think we figure that. We, we, oh, little kids, they don't really. No, man, if you understand the law and you transgress the law, you are guilty as much as anybody else. I, I, am, like, I am just as guilty from that sin to various others since then that I have had to repent of. I mean, every single time it comes back to my understanding and realization and, uh, and humility. Hypocrisy and formless didn't have the humility to go down the hill and come in through the door. But as you're an Israelite standing there in front of that red, you're like, yeah, this is, this is my door. This is the door I should go through. There are three kinds of people. One, the kind of person who claims it and owns it. Two, the kind of person who doesn't, who continues to make excuses. But three, I've noticed there's a kind of people that they claim it, but then they won't let go of it. They're addicted to the shame of it. They just stand at the door. They just stand there. And they go, yes, uh, woe is me. I'm so bad. I'm such a bad person. And they never get to the part of Scripture that says the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. They just keep feeling bad. And they keep feeling bad. And they keep feeling bad. And they keep feeling bad. And God's not calling us to feel bad. Because your sorrow, the Bible says human sorrow doesn't do any good. You crying and moaning about it doesn't do any good. It doesn't make God forgive you anymore. But godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance is to turn around. Repentance is to get under it and say, that's me, and I am owning it, and I am confessing it, and I am laying it down before the feet of Jesus. And I'm looking at not just the red of my sin, but also the red of his blood. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Not wrong thinkers, not wrong faithers, not wrong churchgoers. He says wrongdoers. What you do, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter what church you go to. Doesn't matter what your creed was. Doesn't matter what your belief was. Wrongdoers, what you do Monday through Saturday matters. It doesn't just matter in some weird way. Literally, this is what qualifies. This is how you enter the door. You don't enter the door on Sunday morning. This is how you enter the door. He says, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit? They won't make it to the celestial city. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor greedy people, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 11, he says, but I don't want you to sit around and just simply say, man, I guess I'll never get into the kingdom. No, he says, verse 11, and this is exactly what some of you were. 
You have to own it. This is what I was. But what I was is not who I'm becoming. He says, but you were also washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so to see the red, the Israelite would have seen sin, a disruption of the white, but he would have also seen blood. He would have also seen sacrifice. He would have also seen redemption. And he comes under it. Are you under redemption? Are you under the blood? Have you, have you placed your past under the blood? Have you placed your mistakes under the blood? Have you, ha, have you confessed it? Have you owned it? Have you said the same thing as God? And then have you walked away from it? Have you gone under it? Have you put it under you? Have you touched it? Oh, no, no, I'm not worthy to be touched by the blood of God. Well, then you can't come in. Of course you're not worthy. If your pride waits until you're worthy, that's the secret of pride. It's trying to make you wait until you're worthy, which is never <laughs> you will never be worthy. You gotta, you gotta own, just like you owned your sin, you have to own the sacrifice that was made for the cleansing of your sin and come under it. It's for you. He said, This is the door of my people. I want them to come through the red. Not just in recognition of their sin, but in recognition of my great power to cleanse and to forgive. So come under it. Let it touch you, let it drape over you, let it fall over your shoulders. Let it wrap around you. Get tangled up in it while the ram and the goats are trying to eat grass and you're trying to pull them through. Let, 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 the, let, let, let the color of red be so around the people of God that this is, this is what we are washed in. That's what we're bathed in. The other color was purple. And this stands for authority. Purple, they would have understood from, from Egyptian culture, purple is authority. It's, it's, it's government. It's royalty. It's kings, it's queens, it's, it's, it's a court, it's, a, it's, it's, it's authority. Because when you come into the presence of God, you must come under his authority. You must come under his, his leadership. Which means, like, he's, this is not a democracy. So it's very difficult for, for, for Americans to figure this one out. We tend to not like monarchs. We throw them tea parties and all kinds of things. We don't like people telling us what to do and taxing us just because they feel like it. But this is the kind of kingdom that God set up. This is the kind of government that when God wanted to communicate to man what, it would, what his kingdom would look like, he didn't choose a democracy, as good as I think democracies are, actually. He chose a dictatorship. He chose where one guy tells everybody else what to eat, what to drink, when to fast, when to do this, when to do that, where they can live. And we're so far removed from that, and we have such hatred for that kind of thinking that it's kind of, it's kind of abhorrent to think that God would set up a, a, a kingdom where he's just telling everybody what to do. Yeah, it's, it's his authority. Now, the, 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 the best kind of government in the world is a benevolent monarchy. The problem with humans is you never get benevolence. You get selfishness, you get greed, you get sin. Which is why we have come to dislike this kind of authority and why we throw tea parties and why we believe that, that, that our system of government is better and our constitution is, is safer for the people. But, but when you're under God, God is the safest authority because God is infinitely good. God is infinitely kind. He is infinitely generous. He is infinitely uh, loving. He is infinitely knowing. He knows all things. He is the kind of king that we were made to be under. 
And his authority is absolute. He has authority over everything. Rose shared that video of Francis Chan about God's authority. God has authority over the fish, over, over the sea, over the weather. God has authority over the weather. God has authority over storms. God has authority over sickness. He has authority over diseases. He has, author- he has all authority. And so when we come in under his authority, that's the idea of Colossians chapter 1, that, that God, Jesus, has this amazing authority. And if we will come in under his authority, then we will line up with his authority. And all things will fall into alignment. This is, what, this is what I think many uh, an, unanswered prayers are because there's, there's lack of alignment to the authority of God. He would happily give it to you. But because you're not under his authority, you're not going to use it for his kingdom. And so sometimes we have a need in our heart, a cry in our heart, and we don't receive it because we're not under his authority. Not because he doesn't want to give it, not because it's not his joy to give it. Not because he wouldn't love to lavish us with everything that he has in store for us, but because until we come under his authority, we will use it to our own destruction and not his glory. And so he says, I'm waiting for you to line up and come under authority. I think actually some physical healing is waiting. This this scripture says that I pray that you would prosper, your body would prosper as your soul prospers. I I think your body could be waiting for your spirit to get in line with God before your body lines up with the word of God. Why would your body come into alignment with the word of God when your spirit is not in alignment with the word of God? Your body won't listen. Your spirit has more power than your body. So your spirit is in charge of your body. Your body won't listen to the, spirit, to the spirit of God when your spirit's not listening to the spirit of God. And so healing, physical healing, which we're going to be praying for this Wednesday night, starts with an alignment in my spirit that says, I want what God wants. I come under his authority. And what, what does that mean? It means that his word is true, regardless of what my culture says. It means his word is true, regardless of what I feel or what I think. It means that I get my ethics from his book. I get my opinions from his word. I get my understanding of all of my life from his word and not from my own. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him. Look to him. Come under him. Get under, get under that, that purple blanket. You, you, you cannot, look, and this is what is beautiful. When God said to make it, he didn't have a purple one and a red one. So you can't walk in and say, oh, Jesus is my savior, but not my Lord. There's no, there's no, there's not separate curtains. He said one curtain will have red and purple in it. His, his saviorness is one with his lordness. Neither one of those are words, and I just made them up. Because, because he, he is one in the same. How he saves is he becomes Lord. So the salvation you're looking for is in the lordship of Jesus. The freedom you're looking for is in the lordship of Jesus. This is what's so, this is what's so crazy. God, uh, God offers you freedom under authority. And the enemy offers you captivity away from authority. And he makes it look like freedom. But it's not. It's chains. It's bondage. And so when we come under authority, that's where we're truly free. When we come under his authority, when we come under it. And, and, then, and then finally, there was, there was some blue. There was some blue involved in the curtain. And blue, to the Israelite, would have, would have stood for heaven. You look up, and the sky is blue. And this is what God's saying to his people. He's saying, this is not just about what's happening down here. This is about what's happening up there. 
there is a heavenly uh, tabernacle. There is a heavenly throne room. There is a heavenly uh, 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 high priest. The, all, all of the symbolism that the Israelite would have seen was a reflection of something that was happening in the heavens, which, which is interesting because God gave very specific instructions as to how to build this thing. And he didn't do that for the temple. Solomon's temple. Uh, David and Solomon sort of came up with that on their own based off of this. But what was funny is like when David and Solomon could, you know, got the plans for the, the Solomon's temple, they took the, the, the plans that Moses had built and they kind of made it, they took it to the next level. They did what humans always do. If a little is good, a lot is better. So they had something like, you know, like God said, there needs to be one lampstand within the holy place. They had something like seven. I think it was seven lampstands in the holy place. So just ratchet it up a notch. Because, but, but this was the only time that God specifically said, okay, this is what I want you to paint. That's the color I want that beam. That's the fabric I want you to use for that. That's the material for the. God gave very specific instructions. Why? Because it's reflecting something that is heavenly. It's reflecting something that's not of this earth. And so he didn't want them, because they'd never been to heaven. They don't know. It's reflecting something. He said, this, this, this has to be one curtain, one sheet, because there's only one body. And ultimately, it represents the body of Jesus, the body, the physical body of Christ, who was heaven and earth, who was a representation of sin when he was nailed on the cross, but he was also the representation of cleansing, literal cleansing that he was doing while it says he carried our sin with, with him on the cross. And so we looked at him and we saw the sins of the world, but we also saw the, 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 the cure for all the sins in the world. We saw, we saw death, but we also saw life. And we saw resurrection. And so, and, so, and so within his body, we have the royalty that he is the king of kings, and we have the blood, which he is cleansing, and we have blue, which is heaven. He is divine. He is God. And so God came down. And that's what the Israelite would have seen. He would have seen blue, and he would have said, this is, this is telling me of something greater, something higher, something, something beyond just the desert. God's doing something in heaven right now. And that's what worship is. Worship is to come under heaven. Have you, have you, have you come under heaven yet? Or are you still so connected to this world? Even while we're fasting and praying, that's one of the things we're doing is we're disconnecting ourselves, we're unplugging ourselves from this world because we're not going to Starbucks anymore and we're not going to H-E-B as much and we're not going to any fast food. We're not going to Gaddy's and we're, we're disconnecting what we normally eat and what, what we norm, places we normally go and instead we're like, well, I'm, I'm hungry. And I don't have any caffeine, and I have a headache, and, 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 and it's driving us to pray. It's driving us to that which is actually really important, and that is God. To come under heaven, to step away from earth for a minute, to not be so, so grounded here, but to say there's something higher, there's something greater. These things have allured my sight, I think is what the hymn says. Something higher, something nobler. These things have allured my sight. So, Father, we come before you, and we want to come under. We want every member of City Chapel to come through the door. You've made it available to everybody. You told everybody exactly where it was and how to get to it. You told everybody exactly 
where to walk through. And so we want to go through. We, I pray that every member of City Chapel would come through the door of Jesus. Every member would, would submit to the authority of Jesus, would submit to the word of Jesus, would submit to, to heaven, would come under heaven, would be lifted up from this earthbound life that we're living. And finally, Lord, we would confess our sins and we would see you faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you've, never, if you've never confessed your sin, would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I'm confessing my sin. I am, I am agreeing with God. I'm coming to the door. That's awesome. That's awesome. You might have been in church for a long time. That's awesome. Father, you see our hands raised. We're coming before you. We're confessing our sin to you. Not what we have said about our sin, not what our parents said, but what you say. And Lord, we need cleansing. We need cleansing. We come to you with humility, and we need you. You're not just an option. You're not just a good idea. You are a necessity for heaven and for earth to make it, just, just to walk this life. We need you. So, Lord, we come under your blood. We let the blood wrap around us. We let it cleanse us of all of our sins. Oh, the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Not of good that I have done. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and peace. This is all my hope. Standing on the stage or on my deathbed with oxygen in my nose, this is all my hope. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the door that is open to us. (laughs) We come in under Jesus. We get under it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.